Hey there, you handsome individuals. Welcome to Pod Dew of the session with Ian Kelly. We kick things off reflecting on the podcast I did with Reese Vandersar, which is episode number four. If you haven't checked it out yet, go get it so you've got context to the chat, including learning how to earn $7.2 billion an hour. The YouTube channels of Mighty Car Mods and Roadkill did a collaboration a couple of years ago when Ian was fortunate enough to be on set for the whole thing. Which meant meeting his childhood and adulthood hero David Freiberger along with Mike Finnegan. The talk trends towards discussions of relationship breakdowns and dependency on alcohol to get through the day. Once again, I hacked on the editing of this one because I'm only just figuring it all out. Please be gentle with your feedback. Be good to your mates and be more understanding of other people's mistakes as we all traverse this crazy shitfest we've created for ourselves. It's easy to spread hate within a matter of seconds across the world, but it seems as though love and hugs is fighting against some sort of firewall. Make it louder and make it more often. If you're finding yourself staring up the face of an insurmountable wall of dread on a daily basis, start by having a chat with your mates and let them know how you feel. Be authentic, be real, be in the moment. And if you've got mates approaching you to do the same, give them the time and pass no judgment. Understand where they are and ask how you can help, if only just being an ear for them to talk to. None of us are alone out there, so let's spread the message and be supportive. Reach out to us on the social platforms of Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Advice for Blokes. Drop some audio truth bombs on 029541 And make sure to reach out to Lifeline on 131114 if you want to leg up from a professional. Sit back, wrap your ear holes around this stellar episode and get after it. Um, Reese uh, said that the highest amount he'd been paid for one photo was $2,000 for mm. one photo. Shit. He touched on the fact that uh, when you were at Motor, you guys... You basically, so what... So if I can give you the uh, uh, rundown with that, Reese said that you were actually the reason he ended up becoming a professional photographer. In a roundabout way, yeah. Yeah, yeah I reached, and, I reached and, out to him to source some photos. Yeah, so he said yeah, he was shooting a, an event at um, Sydney Motorsport Park or something. He had yeah. some really good photos that you saw online when you were editor at Motor. And, uh, and you said, hey, look, we'll pay you for these photos. And he was like, oh, fuck, okay, well, I can get paid for this. I was just yeah. doing it for free. And that was part of his rebound from, um, from his breakup with, uh, with his ex. Uh, apparently, uh, that 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 was the the story that was given yeah, right. there. If I, I remember it correctly, I, I didn't know. I no, was drunk. I've I've known Reese since high school, and he was always in the cars. He was always kind of bouncing around motorsport. He had a he had a kind of like a love of not so much modified cars. My 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 interest has kind of always been street machines, hot rods, that sort of stuff. He was in a like circuit racing, Formula One, V eight supercars, things like that. Really serious motorsport. And he came along to a Twilight Track Night and took some amazing photos. I mean, we had, at that, at that time, the Twilight Track Night was kind of marketed to guys who had exotic cars and high-end performance cars. Motor Magazine is a magazine about new cars, but it's about high-performance and exotic cars. So it we had, like, at the time, this is 2013, so we had 458 Stradales, or I think they're Stradales. I'm really bad with modern cars. So we had... GT3s, we had like well set up HSVs and and Audis and all sorts of stuff out there, and he took some killer photos. And I've been incredibly fortunate to work with a number of 
are photographers at the very start of their careers. So there's a famous photographer called <laughs> Easton Chang. <laughs> you mean you're cheap. I'm I work I work for the I work for the entry level publications before they go on to earn those corporate bucks. Yeah, right. Okay. So Easton Chang was a guy who I worked with way back in the day when I was a very, very newbie well known at speed. Yeah. So I worked on a magazine called Speed Magazine. It was the first the first title that I had a full time job on. And um yeah, Easton was Easton kind of really elevated what's known as the rig shot. So the, it looks like the car is in motion, but the car is still, all the background is blurred. And it became a huge thing in photography in sort of 05 to maybe 2010. It was the peak of the rig shot. And at this time, digital photography was still fairly new. And post-production, these days, everyone knows post-production. These guys, these days, you know, you, you, I've literally run a double-page spread photo in a magazine that I took on my Samsung Galaxy S10. Oh, wow. That's not really... An you can ad- afford an S10. Wow. I'm not, not paid that poorly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like, Reese, Reese is a really great guy and I think he... I think he, he... He does well in... Apparently I didn't put my phone on silent. Sorry about that. Yep. <laughs> I think I think Reese does really well in photography because he loves motorsport. And if you do something and you love it... That's what it, he was saying. Yeah, so he, his, his whole um, sort of storyline was he almost felt guilty about being paid for something that other people were going out and doing for free. Like, that they'd be able to get that high-vis vest that says press on yeah. it and get it all access to the... And the, there were people out there just wanting to do it for free. And he was like, shit, I almost felt guilty accepting money for something that I'm actually passionate about. I feel the same in some ways because yeah. I'm a regular guy. Like I'm, I'm a regular sort of... You're an irregular guy. I'm an obtuse guy. Obtuse. <laughs> no, I, I'd call you... Uh, I'm a cute. rotund mutt. Um, <laughs> so, so, I... Growing up, I did not have a link to V8s or anything like that. My dad liked French cars. We would watch rallying together, but I loved Street Machine, these these fantastic... Like, the, when I remember seeing a 57 Chev as a kid. The Chev, right? Like, that is... that is The 57 Chev and the 59 Cadillac are kind of the two most outrageous car designs that most people would know. Mm. And I was, I was... I grew up on the Central Coast in the 80s and 90s, and... So we saw lots of ordinary plastic bumpered cars from the 80s. And then one day I saw a red 57 Chev convertible. And this thing looked like it was from outer space. Yeah. And it changed. I instant like, I, I actually used to like Jaguars and things from England. My parents watch a lot of like old English police dramas and stuff like that. So I grew up kind of liking the whole story behind Jaguar and whatnot. But then I saw a 57 Chev and my, my focus changed. But... So I started reading all these like street machine magazines and hot rod magazine. I'd flip through hot rod at the local news agent in Arimba. Shout out to Alan. And um, I couldn't afford to buy it because it was like sixteen bucks, and I was a ten year old kid. But it seemed to me all the guys that worked on those magazines and the photographers and the editors and stuff were gods among men. They were they were like this. They they were the oracles. They knew everything about cars. And so when I actually got my job in journalism. I was super intimidated and I, I really, I still feel like I'm not really kind of one of them. So you still kind of, you hold everyone else there in a slightly higher regard. Yeah. So to, to touch on that then, the, um, so the Subaru, 
thing that you did with uh, the MCM guys, which was a crossover between MCM and Roadkill. Um, that was it. Was that a uh, like a well, give us the story there? Okay, so, so for the co- better uh, benefit of everybody. So Roadkill is David Freiberger and Mike Finnegan, who were staffers on Hot Rod Magazine. Right. Now, Freiberger has been a legend in publishing. He's done land speed racing. He's set records. He is a guru. Yeah. He's an so, amazing guy. So when you did that then, you got to fly over to the old I was USA. I was flying oh, you were going to the USA for, already for SEMA. For SEMA. And then um, I had a big holiday planned. And Marty, I go I go and see the Mighty Car Mods guys every week. We have a social kind of get-together. And Marty came to me and said, I know you're a big Roadkill fan. What do you reckon? Could you extend your holiday by a week and earlier and come over with us and we'll build a car to battle Roadkill? And I was a massive Roadkill fan. I thought that was going to... Like, Roadkill to me was my dream job because they got paid to build cars, like ridiculous, silly, nonsensical cars, for a job. That was their day job. So... Uh. Sorry, Ian just wasted a burp. So, Freiberger yeah. is... David Freiberger... Is the editor of Ma- uh, he, Hot Rod Magazine He was now? the Hot Rod... He was the editor of Hot Rod Magazine, but he's been editor of Carcraft, and he's built legendary project cars, and he's gone, like, set records at Bonneville Land Speed Racing, and on all sorts of stuff. Like, he's he is a giant of that scene. And um, so you... And I got Marty, to- Marty says, extend your holiday. So yeah. you're like, mm, okay, if I have to. Yeah. Firstly. And then also you get to spend now presumably two days filming with Freiburger? It was, it was yeah, it was one and a half days. Um, we met him in LA and then road trip down to San Diego. We didn't actually get to spend a huge amount of time on the road together. The Roadkill crew... Uh, they were actually a little bit difficult to kind of gel with on the first day. They kind of had their thing and we were kind of an inconvenience to them because we were just silly Australian guys in a van, you know. Yeah, right. Oh, shit. Let's get some mic levels happen- <laughs> happening. Yeah, right. So, you, like, you're we, just we working for the little Australian guys who had three million odd subs on YouTube. Yeah. And they were the ones who had... F- Motor Trend had about five million and yeah. that was done with YouTube money. It wasn't- and multiple channels and yeah, all exactly. sorts. Or multiple, you know, like brands. Dirt Every, Dirt Every Day and, and Hot Rod Garage and their Hot Rod Magazine, man. Like, they invented niche publishing. Robert E. Peterson, the, the founder of the Peterson Museum, he started Hot Rod Magazine in the late 1940s. Like, it's been going since 1948. And um, it is the granddaddy of it all. The, the birth of the NHRA, the group that... National sank, that Hot Rod it, Association. The group that originally founded dr- organised drag racing. Still the sanctioning body. It's one of them. There's the IHRA, there's a few others. But it was the one that actually was the original sanctioning body of organised drag racing. Came basically out of... Um, it came out of the Southern California Timing Association, but it was all there with Pete Peterson and... The, the and Hot Rod Magazine. So when you meet a Hot Rod editor as a motoring journalist, as a guy who's written for Street Machine and idolised these guys, it's huge. For sure. Um, so was it like that situation where you go and drive a GDHO and then you go, not as good as my Audi A4? Freiburger was amazing. 
Right. I've got to say, like he was way nicer to particularly me because I was I was in I was fan I was fangirling like a banshee. The interest the interesting thing for me coming out of the whole roadkill experience was that I went into that thinking that roadkill was my dream day job. Right. That was just what I wanted to do, and I learned a bit more about it and behind the scenes. And I did not feel that way at the end of it. Is that because the whole like intensity of the LA film crew and no. No? No. The way that the film crew worked, I will always pick up the phone for Marty and Blair because of the way they work. The two the two guys do not mess about. They are incredibly... You always know where you stand with them. Yep. They are honest as the day is long and they will tell you straight to your face. They are in there to get a job done and do it well and they know their craft and so working with them is incredibly enjoyable. You don't stand around and have like a half hour conversation about, oh, where should we put that GoPro and where should we do this and where should we do that? Like they just, they are, they are focused on their craft and you end up having a really good time on MCM shoots because these guys know what they're doing and they're not there to, like, it's not, but it's also not they're, they're not there to muck around. They're the talent and they're also calling the shots. Yeah. And like Marty once said to me, he's like, well, if we don't, you know, get in and, and get all these angles, we can't pay rent. Yeah, precisely. But but so you're saying Freiburger himself was actually everything that you'd... Because again, like you, we're talking... So how do you now? You're 36. 18 plus years of idolising the words that this guy has penned. And not just and the words. And then you go and meet like, him. It's he revolutionised. He he saved Hot Rod magazine. I have a lot of time for um for Jeff Seddon Seto, who he came into Street Machine in the end of nineteen ninety nine when everyone was saying that Street Machines are dead, V eights are dead. It's all about WRXs and Suzuki Swift GTIs and auto salon and things like that. You know, uh, uh, goldfish tanks in the boot with fifteen inch subwoofers. <laughs> That's what it's all TVs about. TVs in the floor. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he saved Street Machine, and he not only saved it, he kicked everyone's ass. Like, he won... The, the, the equivalent of an Oscar for a journalist is the Magazine Publishers Award in Australia, and he won two of them. He won Editor of the Year multiple times. He got Cover of the Year, Magazine of the Year. He, he did it all, like... And he was just this dude who went about it his own way. He had a scra- scraggly beard, and, you know, he wore thongs and jeans to work, and he was an ex-motorbike journo. So we have this, like... We have this, uh, this chat for what we call scumbag lunch, which is a bunch of us who used to work at Shannon's. We catch up in the city at the office hotel every now and again. It's meant to be like a long Friday lunch where we all get drunk and eat chicken wings and talk shit. Yeah. So different from every other so drinking you mean Friday. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, Brendan, Brendan messages us a couple of weeks ago and he's like, he's, he's a bit of a beer fiend and he loves his, he loves his uh, craft beer and he messages a couple of weeks ago. He's like, no, 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 can't come, can't come guys. And we're like, oh, come on bro. Like, there's, there's certain people coming who haven't come in ages and, and we're like, it's going to be a really good one. And he's like, nah, nah, nah. We had end of financial year drinks uh, last week and um, I was double fisting espresso martinis all afternoon and then <laughs> apparently I got in a fight but I don't know, I didn't, I didn't recall that and then I woke up somewhere in someone else's clothes. Um, <laughs> 
So it's Brendan, <laughs> Brendan, if I I don't I cannot picture Brendan in a fight. No, I cannot. This is a man who once got his jaw broken at the damn hotel in Wyong because he walked into a punch accidentally. Um, I love I love you like a brother, Brendan, but it's just it was just of course it's going to happen to you, mate. Of course, <laughs> definitely. If out of everyone, Brendan. yeah, it's the bloke with the salmon pink EH Holden is going to get punched out. Yes. Um, but yeah, he also, he'd, he'd said, I mean, he's had some pretty serious health issues uh, and not to get too serious, he was like, no, I'm, I'm not drinking for a while. Yeah. But then he was also telling me about how many espresso martinis he drinks for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, brother. <laughs> just, that's, that's my way of not drinking. Let's just, let's just power smash fucking espresso martinis. Power thirst. It's crystal meth in a can. <laughs> I'm kidding. Similar to bear blasting. These aren't your dad's pawns. These are terrible pawns. I showed. I showed a. Uh, so who's who's newer than millennials? There's millennials, and then there's who are people who are like uh, twenty? Yeah. Who are people who are like twenty, twenty-one years old? They're, I don't know. Shit. Yeah. I think is what they call them. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, I showed Tess and some of her friends these uh, the power thirst ads. Yes. And they didn't get it. I was like, how do you not get it? You guys live on <sighs> vines, don't you? <laughs> yeah, so uh, so TikTok is the new um, new vine instead of being nine seconds, which was an arbitrary number to pick. Mm. It's, it's um, a prime number, isn't it? No. It's, no, it's not. <laughs> Seven is the prime <laughs> number. <laughs> <laughs> and basically every odd number around nine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm a journalist, okay? I don't do numbers, right? I've got broken calculator syndrome. I can I can add up I can add up an equation three times and get three different numbers. And one of those numbers will be quack. Um, so uh, what was the story? I believe it was you in the parlor with Professor Plum and a double ended dildo. Right. So anyway, Dad walks in. <laughs> He's got the forty-four gal drum of lube with a foot pump. <laughs> it's an air over air over hydraulic. Uh, that's a joke. No one's going to get. No, no backhoe enthusiasts are going wild right now. It's just Woo! Four guys. I actually saw, you know, the cat stickers. You see everywhere they, they got yes. the caterpillar cat stickers. Yeah. I saw one that was in the same format, but it said dog the other day. <laughs> That's quite funny. You're not a real operator unless you drive a cat. Your first marriage, which I don't think we ever got. Um, this, this is humorous. I mean, if you yes. want to look at like A grade fuck ups, yes. if you want to study how not to do meaningful Ma- relationships and marriage, yes. It is that is me. That's go go and pay close attention to the following tale. Okay, kidlets. listen in, children. You fucking dog cunts. Yeah, don't say that so much because I did that uh, during my first marriage. That's the most. It's the most like meaningful button I have on the soundboard. So mm. you fucking dog cunts. I I have to say that it. Towards the end of my marriage, the guy who was drinking the VB at 20 to fucking 8 in the morning. The that long was, That was probably me. Right. That was, um, alcohol was a coping mechanism for me towards the end of my marriage and afterwards for a while. Um, it's all, 
like it's all fun and games to be the to be the joking beer swilling journo, but at some point you have to actually admit that you do have a problem with alcohol because I would have given up being a journalist. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> I self sabotaged hard enough to try. Um, yep. I mean, I was never really a journalist. I'm not, I'm not out there with you know fucking Paul Barry and and um, George Negus breaking meaningful stories. I'm not helping people. I'm telling you how Darren built his Tirana. Love Darren though. Shout out. Oh, Darren I mean Darren's a great guy and his his car's kick ass, but I never I've never felt that I am a That you belong. So you've well, got to, I've, you've, I've never you've, felt I've never felt that I've been worthy of the title of journalist like, you know, the all the president's men, you know, the guys who broke yeah. Watergate are journalists. Okay. So let's do the uh finish off on the, the, the breaking breaking up of your uh your marriage. Talk talk through that one. So, what was the uh, what was the circumstance that happened there, um, and what was the uh, I guess the internal like fucking chaos that you went through as as that situation it's, transpired? I, I had I had a number of setbacks in the lead up to it. Um, we'd been together for about ten years by the time we broke up. Um, we bought a house together in '09, which was. Six years in, and we were we were pretty we were pretty set on it. I mean, I thought that this was it. This well, I was going to be together with that woman for the rest of my life because that's what marriage is, right? Well, yeah. I mean, my parents are still together. Um, I felt strongly enough about her. We were kind of committed. Um, we, well, we were committed together. We had a dog and a house and. You know, we were making a life together. And so then we got married. And um, in 2013, uh, it kind of started with losing my job at Motor. So I was editor at Motor and I'd been tasked with rebranding it and relaunching it as a new title. I put in a huge amount of effort by myself, basically. I was the only full-time employee of that magazine for a while. And then one day I went, one Monday I went to work in August of 2013 and they had a company-wide meeting and we we knew nothing about it so then we all kind of wandered in they said right we're moving all the mags to Melbourne so that was 900 k's away I couldn't go with it so I was just going to lose my job so lost my job at the end of September um there was a lot of parties and farewell parties and I got used to drinking quite a bit with journos I mean, you'd always had a few beers, but it had been kind of tempered by the fact you had normally had to drive a press car somewhere. So then I just got used to kind of drinking quite a bit, and I ended up I fell into a job on the Central Coast for an automotive paint company. That was great. I was doing a lot of freelancing. It was very happy at home because I was closer to home. I wasn't out as much. My journalism takes you away from home quite a lot. Um, You've got to cover events. You've got to go drive cars. That time has to come from somewhere. And, yeah, it. I was earning more money, which was a big thing for my ex-wife, I think. Um, so they changed... Someone overseas decided that they were going to get rid of the heads of marketing in each region, which one of which was me. So I lost my job. This was for Valspar at this point. For Valspar, yeah. yeah. So I lost my job coming up to um, Easter of the following year. And I started freelancing and my ex-wife didn't like that. She wanted like a secure, she wanted me to have like a secure job. 
earn a salary, that sort of stuff. I was actually really enjoying the, the, the freelance experience. I was earning good money. I was earning similar money to what I was at Valspar. And I was kind of making it work. But she, she didn't enjoy the fact that I was working from home. Oh, right. Um, and that, that was kind of where the tension started. And it all kind of broke down from there. And then what didn't help was the fact that in July, I was working for uh, Laurie Starling at the Chop Shop. Um, I was doing marketing one day a week. Ryan Carter brought me in. And I knew those guys because I'd featured cars from them before. I'd known them through mini trucking sort of channels um, and hot rodding channels for a few years. And we organised this great trip to Melbourne. We had a great trip to Motorex in 2014. And we came back and a couple of days later he was murdered. Um, And that hit me harder than I thought. For sure. A bit later on. I'd, I mean, look, that, that it wasn't directly related to me, but that was impactful even well, in my life. It was huge because also, I think people get the wrong idea when they hear that this guy got murdered. Um, yeah. He was shot by some bikies. He was in the middle, he found himself in the middle of a dispute between a guy he knew and these bikies. He was, he's literally in court. They have proven he is the innocent person. He was, they weren't even going to murder him. They were just going to threaten him, but they ended up shooting and killing him. Um... And he was a leading figure in the automotive aftermarket industry. He's, he was kind of one of a kind. I think of his story these days. If people want to go read up about a similar guy to Laurie, go look up Mickey Thompson. Mickey Thompson revolutionized American hot rodding. David Freiberger calls him the greatest hot rodder of all time. And he was murdered by his business partner in his driveway with his wife in the early 80s. Um, the similar sort of thing happened in Australia. So I really started hitting the bottle um, after that. And it wasn't that I would get up at seven in the morning and drink. Like I, I worked with a guy who was an alcoholic who used to do that. He could not, he literally could not get through the day without boozing. So I didn't think of myself as having a problem with alcohol. Um, my problem was that if I'd go out and I'd, I'd, I would never buy less than a case of beer. Yeah. And then I would have to drink all 24. And it would just get out of control. Okay. I had to consume all of it. As in, like, within that same session? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, like, I started getting back... Every time you start getting back on top, you start making progress and start feeling better and scoring wins, something else would come up and, and knock me down. And then, um, yeah, at the end of September, just after a week after my sister got married, we had a great weekend down there, and then... Uh, down at her wedding, and then uh, my garage burnt down, and I'd been working on a car, I had all my stuff out there, I lost everything, like you lose, like when people say they lose everything, like yeah, I literally lost all my prized possessions, Um, I lost a car that I'd been working on for 18 months. Which for all Um, intents and purposes had no commercial or real value. No. You couldn't sell it for anything. No. But you had... Hours I'd, and hours and hours. I'd and, done it and, all myself. And like it was graft. Too. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was hard graft, and and because I'd done it while I didn't have a full time job, I had to be really sensible yeah. about the money I put in that car. I couldn't pay a shop to go and 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 make fancy parts for it and do that sort of stuff. So it really sat me on my ass more than what. It took me a couple of years to realise how much that set me back because it was like the last thing. Like every time something would turn to shit in my life, I would go to the garage and I'd work on my car. It was my 
sanctuary. My my I had this thing. I I literally it was I like had a vessel. Valve. Yeah, I had a vessel to get me through. I would solve problems. I would progress something on this car that had been given up on, and I'd prove it was worth saving. And that kind of helped me process the things that had gone wrong in my life in that time. And then, so your only salvation from the last three, oh, three big months. hits you'd had, yeah, yeah, but the last three you'd had three big hits in twelve months, yeah, is that right? Yeah, so I lost, lost motor, lost Valspar, lost Laurie, and then, and then the shed fire, and then the only thing that was keeping you sane through all that period, pretty burns, much, burns down yeah. to the ground. Yeah, and it's. I'll say this, like if you're into, if you have a love of something, cars, horses, like if you love cooking, never watch the thing you love burn. Because I did. I'm I watched my... I mean, I watched, if you're cooking. Yeah, don't watch your steak burn. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's, like, I watched, so you, I watched my garage. you sat there and watched your garage burn to the ground. Yeah. And there was nothing I could do about it. I tried fighting the fire. You get garden hoses, neighbours jumping fences, garden and, hoses and the cause and of the fire was dust in the... Fridge, right? Fridge. So the fridge motor... Is, I had an old fridge. beer fridge. So your in, beer fridge. Yeah. Connor's, Connor's... The first thing Connor's was like, huh, kind of ironic that the thing that was meant to keep stuff cold burned Made the shed it. down. Yeah. I was like, that That actually is the definition of irony. That's yeah. what, so that. So you've had to sit there and watch that burn down. So now you've got four, four massive fucking strikes against mm. you within, what, just over 12 months. Yeah. And yeah, it was... It was, it was 13 months to the day and then I didn't know how to process I, I, I come from family and this isn't a criticism of my family we just we, we don't really talk about feelings we, we, we're not a hugging family no you, know, you drive French stuff. cars they, they 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 used to failure um, <laughs> so they, they'd had they'd had at that stage 31 years of me so they were definitely used to failure um, but yeah that's like, not true I just I yeah, it went through a rough time and, and um, I, I hadn't been self-aware enough to get help. So my ex pushed me to go get help. Um, I tried that and I still couldn't manage the alcohol. I didn't see it as a problem. You saw it as a solution? No, I just saw it as like... A friend? I just had this thing where on weekends you get drunk because you did that in your 20s and... My dad told me, and this is not, I'm not blaming him, but like my dad would tell me stories about how he would go out. All his heroic stories involved him getting really wasted. So growing up, they were the kind of heroic tales that I, I yeah. listened to and I must have aspired to. I must have taken them in on a deeper level. But you, you get a little bit of that. I mean, even with your mates, it's like, dude, this one night I was really drunk. Mm. Right. And, and you as the storyteller are like, no, no, but that's just like, that's incidental. Yeah. Not so much that the person who's listening to it, if they're in their formative years, is taking that on as, oh, okay, so good stories happen when you're drunk. Yeah, I mean, Jim Jim Jeffries, who's one of my favourite stand-up comedians, he once said, he goes, if you don't drink, you're a boring cunt and all your stories suck. Because they all end the same <laughs> way. It. And then I got home. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I used to prescribe no one ever says, to... No one ever starts a good story with, I went out to eat a salad. Yeah. yeah. I, I, so I used to prescribe to his theories quite a bit and then I found out he was a raging alcoholic who was completely out of control at one point and um, I, I'll also say this, um, I still struggle with alcohol. Like, it is incredibly difficult to go out and, and 
particularly if I'm driving, I drive a lot of places now because I know I take my license. Well, I take my license so seriously that um, I cannot drink. Like I cannot drink out of control. I can have a couple of beers and then drive home and I'll be right. But I can't get out of control and drive home. No. But if I Uber somewhere, I do need to be mindful that you shouldn't just be like emptying pints into your face when you've only gone out for a nice dinner. Right. That's It's just the hard thing for me is to divorce myself from that idea of going out to a nightclub and, and drinking your body weight and booze. I was never the guy who took pills or anything like that. I never had any interest in that, but I now realise that my behaviour was just as unhealthy as those people. Um, and it's taken me a lot of time on my own uh, to break down my behaviour and why I'm a certain way and, and that to identify that it's not as healthy as what I thought it was. I thought it, I was just the drunk, fun-loving, you know, inappropriate guy, but actually you're a drunk piece of shit who should sort their life out because you're in your mid-30s and it's okay to get drunk every once in a while, but you shouldn't be drunk every time you turn up. Mm. And that's Look, that's a... Um I've been having a few conversations lately about like in that same sort of vein, which is it's very easy for like a recently I was seeing a chick who is a, an alcoholic or reformed alcoholic, but she, she would call herself an alcoholic and that complete abstinence from alcohol and that pointing to alcohol as the cause of a lot of problems, which I don't doubt that it is, but the cause of all the problems, mm. I don't necessarily gel with. No, I'm no, not, I'm not a big fan of these people who are like, I gave up alcohol and my life completely changed. Okay, fine. But like all you're doing is you're pointing at the alcohol and you're saying, that's the problem. If I stay away from that, I'm perfectly okay. Yeah. Guess what? You can still be a fucking piece of shit regardless of the fact well, that you're not doing you're, you're not, not really fixing alcohol. what's wrong you're not like all you're doing is is you're stopping the bad person that's inside of you coming out Where, yeah, you're not actually that's the problem. fixing you've got, you've got you're that, not fixing the bad person no you've got that lubricant encouraging the fucking deep dark person to come out after 15 beers where all of a sudden you start throwing punches and carry, not you specifically, but I'm talking about people mm. in general. Like, oh, I've got a problem with alcohol. No, you have a problem with just being a piece of shit person who can't control their fucking temper. And what's happening is your life is so fucking miserable for the most part that instead of being 20 beers in and hugging people and saying, I love you, man, and crying, you're being a fuckwit yeah. and, and you're be, being abusive towards people. Your sobriety masks deeper issues. Precisely. And... and I have to say that I don't think my drunkenness was... Oh, you were never a violent person. You were no, fucking it didn't, hilarious. No, it didn't, it didn't mask things. It's just that I got out of control drunk. Yeah. And I couldn't control myself while drinking. Yeah. Um, and look, in the end, there, there was a bunch of reasons why my marriage failed. Um, it got to a point where we weren't... We were just like... We had grown completely apart. We yeah. weren't interested in each other. Yeah. Um, and it just it it ended because also, I don't think either of us were mature enough to sit down and have a really hard conversation a long time before with each other. Yeah, that's right. A long time before it actually ended. So it's the same as the you know death of the Roman Empire. Mm. It's um just a lack of communication. So you've done lost your 
editor of Motor Magazine, which was probably the thing you wanted to sort of hang your hat on. Like it, it was it, incredibly important for me course. as a career. Every every person Being editor who works of on a, a magazine, and you were the youngest editor yeah, ever. Of yeah, Motor at, at that time, yeah. Dylan, who took over from me, is younger. Um, but oh, you also, know, what do you expect for sixteen dollars an hour? At at the time. Um, I was presented an amazing chance. A couple of people said to me, they're like, oh, it's a poison chalice, don't take it. Um, and I listened to them and it actually really, it forced me to look harder at it and the opportunity that I had. So the what what happened was the magazine was basically, we had Wheels and Motor and Top Gear all under one publishing house. They're all new car magazines with slightly different bents. Wheels was never going to get shut down because it was the it was the the legacy title. It is an incredibly important motoring magazine for the world. It it set numerous number ones um, in in the way that motoring journalism happens. Then there was Motor, which is almost as old. So you you had a magazine when I was there that was nearly sixty years old that 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 informed people about performance cars and and new cars and industry news and all this really, really um, important stuff. And it had been on this massive sales slide. It was going to get shut down. So then me being brought... The editor was leaving. The former editor was leaving. And, and the publisher said to me, we're going to take a chance on a, on, a, on you, a new journo. We're going to have a really radical redesign and make it a, um, a lifestyle publication. And in 2013, or well, these days, lifestyle publications are everywhere, but in 2013, yeah. the idea of taking something that had been consumer advice and turning it into lifestyle was incredibly radical. So I poured my heart and soul into that for you know, nine months. Yeah. And then to have it taken away at the end, and there was no one to be angry at. No. That was the thing. Well, you like, still, still, at that point... You still had the option to move to Melbourne and continue the job, right? That wasn't going to yeah. work in terms of your life. That wasn't going to work in terms of my and, yeah, my yeah. social life and, and well, for my wife, my life with my wife, yeah. um, my life with my wife. Um, but yeah, it the, that option was there, and actually, my fiance asked me. She's like, "Would would you have done that?" And I was like, "No," because I don't like the weather in Melbourne. Mm. Oh, I think and also AFL the- AFL confuses me. Yeah. It's just men in short shorts hugging each other. Mm. Bounce kick makes no sense. But there's no bad sense. parts as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've you've had your fifth. So you get your lose your job there, lose your job at Valspar. Laurie gets murdered mm. uh, accidentally, which is even fucking worse. Then your shed burns down with all of your possessions and. You know, stuff that's not particularly worth a lot of money, but stuff that really fucking means stuff to you. And that it means a lot to you. And then, so within 18 months, then you get served up with, we're getting a divorce? Yeah. Um, by the start of 2015, so August August 2013 was when we were told that, motor, that all the car mags were moving to Melbourne. And by the start of 2015, it was, right, I no longer love you. You need to move out. Um, I'm going to keep the house and um, we're going to get a divorce. Right. And it was huge because it was like, well, that's 10 years. Like, I thought it kind of came out of nowhere, but I realise now that it probably was for the better, like it was for the best. 
Um, a lot of people told me what they really thought of my ex-wife after we got divorced, which is, I'm sure, a normal thing. Um, but I identified I identified certain things at home that weren't helping my mental health that radically improved within a month of being out of that relationship. Um, well, that's, I mean, there's something positive there. It's There is. Um, one of the big things that it taught me was that relationships end. Never presume that you can be completely in control of everything and that there could be something in someone through no fault of your own that changes and you are no longer compatible. Yeah. And it's no it's neither of your fault. It's you feel the way you feel and, and human beings are irrational irrational stupid things. We are. We're a mess of emotion. Oh no, because we're so smart we try to outthink everything, right? Yeah, and you know, like um myself and my ex neither of us were mature enough to have a conversation with each other about what was actually happening. So I think, like my current relationship, I have much more faith in that because we are. Particularly because Kate will tell me exactly when I'm being a dickhead. No, she will tell you exactly what you're feeling. <laughs> she, doesn't need, she doesn't need to tell me when I'm, what I'm feeling. She'll be like, stop doing that, you're a dickhead. <laughs> She's definitely very forward. It gets that part of being a lawyer. Makes it good at a job. Yeah. Um, right, so that's uh, that's pretty brutal. And, uh, you know, I'm... I'm Sorry that you had to um, sort of endure that. It's look at the end of the day, the sun goes down. It, it is that is co- completely correct, except if you're in Greenland. Um, so nothing I went through was like it. What I went through pales in comparison to people who've survived genocide in Rwanda and people who've suffered abuse and all sorts of like there are there are people out there who suffer really horrific things. And the thing that I found myself doing towards the end there was wallowing in my own sorrow for sure which is so easy to do i never thought i'd be that person and then all of a sudden i found myself in this situation where i'm just like i started feeling sorry for myself and had to snap out of that real quick so it's it's one of those things like you you get personal experience and personal growth everyone gets it different ways um for tom cruise it's platform shoes (laughs) (laughs) But you know, how's that fucking like one of the world's best looking people, five foot two or some shit, and then like his middle two teeth uneven, like in the middle. Have you seen the photos of before he got his teeth fixed? No, not not impossible to fap (laughs) to. It was difficult, but it got there. It's like someone's. It's like someone's like bleached a half a dozen busted footballs and then crammed them into his mouth, like. That guy's... That, 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 like, God bless Tom Cruise and all who sail upon her. Sweet, sweet uh, Christmas. Uh, that guy's teeth were like four four shades of horrible. Uh, there's that movie... Have you ever seen... 50 Shades of Gay. There's that yeah. There's that movie from the 80s where there's like Ben Dillon and... Uh, uh, Matt Dillon, sorry, and Tom Cruise and Emilio Estevez. Uh, I think it's called The Outcast. You mean The Good the Sheen outsides. Brother? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the one without AIDS. The one who fucks. <laughs> no, so... <laughs> Um, so why did he get the most Mexican name ever? Um, <laughs> Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez. So, Take a burrito. So he, I think he was trying to go for, um, I think he was trying to go for the Latin heartthrob market in the eighties. Right. Um, doesn't look Latin at all though. 
No. But I actually watched a... um. Oh, there's a video on YouTube of Martin Sheen talking about why he changed his name. Why he and changed I'll, Emilio's name. Or why? Why he changed his name. Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen changed his name. Oh, what was his, his name? name? It was a Hispanic name, I think. Oh, really? They actually are Latin. Yeah. It was a far less palatable name for Broadway. Right. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Look, the, at, look at Whoopi Goldberg. Did, have her, you ever her watched... Her name's um, Karen Johnson. Have you ever listened to uh, Mike Rowe's podcasts? Um, the way I heard, that's the way I heard it. Mike Rowe was in the guy who did Dirty uh, Jobs. Dirty Jobs. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's got an amazing podcast series called That's the Way I Heard It. Right. And he tells this amazing story about Bruno Mars, who had written hit songs and, and been an amazing singer and no one would sign a record contract for him because his name was someone like, you know, Raul Pablo or something like that. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and then he changed his name to Bruno Mars and got a record deal. Millions of dollars worth of record deal. Yeah, fuck. Yeah. And he's one about... Everyone should listen to the one about... Um, it's the one about uh, the guy... It's about the one about the Oscars. There's one about um, a guy in New York listening to... He's watching the Oscars um, uh, television program um, and debating who's going to win the Best Actor, Octa, uh, Best Actor Oscar. Right. That one is... Not the Octa Oscar? It's no. not a James Bond. It's not Octa. <laughs> Octopussy. Uh, I had nightmares as a, like the first time I heard about. Um, there's the only, first time I heard about Octopussy. Honestly, there's only there's only just a, a happy or a sad ending difference between a nightmare and a, and a wet dream. <laughs> <laughs> I just there was this like mental image as a kid of this like lady with a dress and she lifts up the dress and there's tentacles <laughs> it's like it's anyway like, so my ex-girlfriend yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's one time on tinder um i met cthulhu's sister god damn <laughs> that, that <laughs> some of my favorite ones are that looks like a smashed crab drop um, shepherd's pie that looks like roadkill <laughs> the one that the one i remember the one i remember hearing was that looks like it's been on fire and 400 thundering bastards put it out with their boots <laughs> oh dear looks God. like a bomb's gone off in a burns unit <laughs> And the other one, the other one that I remember hearing, which was how at many, Summonats, of course. How many skin grafts is that? The one that I remember hearing, overhearing at Summonats is like, she had a, she had a vagina that looked like a landmine had gone off in a tray of pastrami. Because <laughs> <laughs> Summonats is where you hear all the best uh, cultural of conversations. Course. Oh, that's where I learned some things about myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think... Um, We've definitely put some minutes in the bag. Well done. Thank you very much for making it. I'm sorry I can't make your wedding, but... Um, That's okay. I know you hate me. Uh, it's not that. We'll violently dock later. With <laughs> two, two men with a bag of frozen poop shaped into a phallic object. I only dock violently. <laughs> there is no other docking that I will participate in. Put the Pantera on and get my bag of frozen poop. <laughs> Release the hounds. And, and don't put on that weak <laughs> shit like Cemetery Gates. Put on the hard stuff. Five minutes alone. Um, one thing one thing I wanted to say when I yeah, was giving you the shout out to the about the notebook before. Yes. So I watch a lot of Hoonigan. You mean the movie? Yeah. <laughs> one of your favourite. 
I, I watch a lot of Hoonigans on YouTube, and and I love the speaking car- of lifestyle companies. Oh, yeah, so I love the the carcane rehab that Brian Scotto goes through. So this is a guy who just keeps buying cars and never finishes. A oh, project. that's true. He has a notebook. So he's got a notebook, yeah. and it's this, it's it's drawn up with the grid style. He has paper. beautiful handwriting. Too. Yeah, I cannot have a notebook now that I've seen that. I'm so intimidated by his handwriting. That's beautiful. Like it's, it's but it's just like if not I impossible did it, to fap too. <laughs> no, <laughs> nothing that good looking ever is. Um, What's he six foot seven? Yeah, Gigantor. Yeah. That's his his nickname is El Gigantor. I actually followed him from when he was a journalist. I used to buy oh, no. his magazine Zero to Sixty Mag, and the first Jim Carner that they did with Ken Block was yeah. actually a video for Zero to Sixty Magazine, and this whole Hoonigan thing came out of that. Okay, um, but yeah, the the. That all the dudes because Hoonigan was the production company. Yeah, go. Well, they founded it after okay. Zero to Sixty folded. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the I, I then I saw a video with Brian Scotto and he's got this amazing notebook and it's it's the beautiful handwriting and it's all very clearly laid out. Why can't mine look like that? And I had that moment of like you know Homer building. The I fire do that pit. when I watch porn. <laughs> 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 you shave, then you shave too close and you get like a little red prick mark. <laughs> no, the the red prick is my dick. Oh, okay. <laughs> there you were hiding behind that pube the whole time. The whole time. Why are you red? Don't but, ask. But then I noticed John. Chase, the, the graphic designer at Hoonigan's got really fucking good handwriting too. I'm like, oh, you talented, good-looking bastards. What a surprise as a graphic designer that he would have amazing yeah. handwriting. Yeah. His calligraphy skills are just next level. Grossy, mate, if you don't have some stunning handwriting, when you come down there, put you in a skirt and hurt you. <laughs> Grovesy. God damn, he's a get, talented get guy Get Grovesy well. on. You need to get Grovesy on this I'd podcast. I'd quite happily have Grovesy on here. You'd quite, fucking you'd quite happily have Grovesy on toast. <laughs> or, or. a man in pit vipers and speedos and toast um, and as we're talking we are at 499 downloads total so I was hoping it would tick over 500 while we're uh, talking but the notebook says it is not so Ian Kelly pleasure to have you thank you thank you for having me along hopefully you come back again I'll always come back and drink beer and talk shit with you good um, now that the weather how fucking good is the weather getting oh my <sighs> god it's so good. It's so good. My niblets freezed off last time I was here, and it, they, they haven't so far. And we had a fire, I think, mm. last time you were here as well. We did. In, in front of the lines. backhoe. <laughs> Actually, anyway, we, we had a enough fire. about my ex. <laughs> we, we had a fire in the backhoe. <laughs> yes, yeah, we did. Apparently, the time to learn to drive a backhoe is not 12 beers deep. No, I, I have to say it wasn't the finest piece of manoeuvring that I've ever done. Not the worst. Not the worst. Didn't fall down the side of the mountain. No. Um, cool. So, to wrap up, uh, thanks, Ian. Legend. Um, the depression, anxiety, lifeline type stuff, 13, 11, 14. Uh, hit us up on tri- Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Advice for Blokes. Um, pocket hotline zero two nine five four one eight four five zero. Leave uh, some audio to let us know what you think or don't. Entirely up to you. It's your phone. And uh, tell us your favourite memories of Pizza Haven. How about Eagle Boys? I th- I feel like Pizza Haven's more worthy of discussion because they've been gone longer. It's like yeah, yeah no, that's a fair point actually. Oh, well, I'm, no, actually, I'm not going to the- argue with you on that one. I'm a fat bloke who's talking about pizza, mate. Why would you argue with me? Pizza is the perfect garage food. Oh, it is. Well, rest in peace, Purdy. Oh, that dog. uh, Yeah. 
What yeah. a champion. Ate a whole family pizza, a whole garlic bread, and then drank three beers. <laughs> and all three beers were unopened. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. Um, yeah, take it easy. You're not alone out there, guys. And we'll catch you on the next podcast. We'll catch you later. Thanks for having me. <laughs>